Act Five of The Tender Husband or The Accomplished Fools by Richard Steele. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act the Fifth. Scene One. Clarimont Senior's House. Enter Clarimont Senior and Faint Love. Then she gave you this letter. And bid you read it as a paper of verses? This is the place, the hour, the lucky minute. Now I am rubbing up my memory to recollect all you said to me when you first ruined me, that I may attack her right. Your eloquence would be needless. Tis so unmodish to need persuasion. Modesty makes a lady embarrassed. But my spouse is above that. As, for example... Reading her letter. Fain, love, you don't seem to want wit. Therefore, I need say no more than that distance to a woman of the world is becoming in no man but a husband. An hour hence come up the back stairs to my closet. Adieu, mon mignon. I'm glad you are punctual. I'll conceal myself to observe your interview. Aside. Oh, torture, but this wench must not see it. Be sure you come time enough to save my reputation. Remember your orders. Distance becomes no man but a husband. <laughs> I am glad you are in so good humor on the occasion. But you know me to be but a bully in love that can bluster only till the minute of engagement. But I'll top my part and form my conduct by my own sentiments. If she grows coy, I'll grow more saucy. "'Twas so I was one myself. "'Well, my dear rival, your assignation draws nigh. "'You are to put on your transport. "'Your impatient, throbbing heart won't let you wait her arrival. "'Let the dull family thing and husband, "'who reckons his moments by his cares, "'be content to wait. "'But you are a gallant, and measure time by ecstasies.' "'I hear her coming. To your post. "'Good husband?' Know your duty, and don't be in the way when your wife has a mind to be in private. To your post, into the coal-hole. Enter Mrs. Clarimont. Welcome, my dear, my tender charmer. Oh, to my longing arms, feel the heart pant that falls and rises as you smile or frown. Oh, the ecstatic moment. Aside. I think that was something like what has been said to me. Very well, Fain love. I protest I value myself for discerning. I knew you had fire through all the respect you showed me. But how came you to make no direct advances, young gentleman? Why was I forced to admonish your gallantry? Why, madam, I knew you a woman of breeding and above the senseless niceties of an English wife. The French way is, you are to go so far, whether you are agreeable or not. If you are so happy as to please, nobody that is not of a constrained behaviour is at a loss to let you know it. Besides, if the humble servant makes the first approaches, he has the impudence of making a request but not the honour of obeying a command. Right. A woman's man should conceal passion in a familiar air of indifference. 
Now there's Mr. Claremont. I can't allow him the least freedom, but the unfashionable fool grows so fond of me that he cannot hide it in public. Aye, madam, I have often wondered at your ladyship's choice of one that seems to have so little of the beau monde in his carriage, but just what you force him to. While there were so many pretty gentlemen. Dancing oh young gentlemen you are mightily mistaken if you think such animals as you and pretty bow titmouse and pert billy butterfly though i suffer you to come in and play about my rooms are any ways in competition with a man whose name one would wear oh madam then i find we are a woman of sense must have respect for a man of that character but alas respect what is respect respect is not the thing respect has something too solemn for soft moments you things are more proper for hours of dalliance clarimont senior peeping how i have wronged this fine lady i find i am to be cuckold out of her pure esteem for me besides those fellows for whom we have respect have none for us I warrant on such an occasion Claremont would have ruffled a woman out of all form, while you... Claremont Sr. aside. A good hint. Now my cause comes on. <sighs> Since then you allow us fitter for soft moments, why do we misemploy them? <sighs> Let me kiss that beauteous hand and clasp that graceful frame. How, <clears throat> oh, love? What? You don't design to be impertinent. But my lips have a certain roughness on them today, and they? No, no, they are all softness. Their delicious sweetness is inexpressible. Oh, here language fails. Let me applaud thy lips, not by the utterance, but... By the touch of mine. Mm. Enter Claremont Senior, drawing his sword. Ha! Villain! Ravisher! Invader of my bed and honor! Draw! What means this insolence? This intrusion into my privacy? Wha what? Do you come into my very closet without knocking? Who put this into your head? My injuries have alarmed me. And I'll bear no longer, but sacrifice your bravado, the author of em. Oh, poor Mr. Fainlove. Must he die for his compliance and innocent freedoms with me? How could you if you might? Oh, the sweet youth. What? Fight, Mr. Fainlove. What will the ladies say? Let me come at the intruder on ladies' private hours. The unfashionable monster. I'll prevent all future interruption from him. Let me come. Drawing his sword. Oh, the brave, pretty creature. Look at his youth and innocence. He is not made for such rough encounters. Stand behind me, poor Fadenlove. There is not a visit in town, sir, where you shall not be displayed at full length for this intrusion. I banish you forever from my sight and my bed. I obey you, madam, for distance is becoming in no man but a husband. Giving her the letter, which she reads, 
and falls into a swoon. I've gone too far. Kissing her. The impertinent was guilty of nothing but what my indiscretion led her to. This is the first kiss I've had these six weeks. But she awakes. Oh, well, Jenny, you topped your part indeed. Come to my arms, thou ready, willing, fair one. Thou hast no vanities, no niceties, but art thankful for every instant of love that I bestow on thee. Embracing her. What? Am I then abused? Is it a wench then of his? Oh, me! Was ever poor abused wife, poor innocent lady thus injured? Runs and seizes Fainlove's sword. Oh, the brave, pretty creature! Hurt Mr. Fainlove? Look at his youth, his innocence! Ha-ha! Interposing. Have a care, have a care, dear sir. I know by myself she'll have no mercy. I'll be the death of her. Let me come on. Stand from between us, Mr. Claremont. I would not hurt you. Pushing and crying. Run, run, Jenny. Exit Jenny. Looks at her upbraidingly before he speaks. Well, madam, are these the innocent freedoms you claimed of me? Have I deserved this? How has there been a moment of yours ever interrupted with the real pangs I suffer? The daily importunities of creditors, who became so by serving your profuse vanities. Did I ever murmur at supplying any of your diversions, while I believed them, as you call them, harmless? Must, then, those eyes that used to glad my heart with their familiar brightness hang down with guilt? Guilt has transformed thy whole person, nay, the very memory of it. Fly from my growing passion. I cannot fly, nor bear it. Oh, look not. What can you say? Speak quickly. Offering to draw. I never saw you moved before. Don't murder me, impenitent. I am wholly in your power as a criminal. But remember, I have been so in a tender regard. But how have you considered that regard? Is it possible you can forgive what you ensnared me into? Oh, look at me kindly. You know I have only erred in my intention, nor saw my danger, till, by this honest art... You had shown me what tis to venture to the utmost limit of what is lawful. You laid that train, I'm sure, to alarm, not to betray my innocence. Mr. Claremont, scorn such baseness. Therefore, I kneel, I weep. I am convinced. Kneels. Claremont Sr. takes her up, embracing her. Then kneel. And weep no more, my fairest, my reconciled. Be so in a moment, for no, I cannot, without wringing my own heart, give you the least compunction. Be in humor. It shall be your own fault if ever there's a serious word more on this subject. I must correct every idea that rises in my mind, and learn every gesture of my body anew. I detest the thing I was. No, no, you must not do so. Our joy and grief, 
honor and reproach are the same. You must slide out of your foppery by degree, so that it may appear your own act. But this wench... She is already out of your way. You shall see the catastrophe of her fate yourself. But still, keep up the fine lady till we go out of town. You may return to it with as decent airs as you please. And, now that I have shown you your error, I am in so good humor as to repeat you a couplet on the occasion. They only who gain minds true laurels wear. Tis less to conquer than convince the fair. Exeunt. Scene two. Tipkin's house. Enter pounds with papers. A table, chairs, pen, ink, and paper. "'Tis a delight to gall these old rascals and set them at variance about stakes, which I know neither of them will ever have possession of." Enter Tipkin and Sir Harry. Uh, "'Do you design, Sir Harry, that they shall have an estate in their own hands, and keep house themselves, poor things?' "'No, no, sir, I know better. They shall go down into the country, and live with me, not touch a farthing of money, but—' Having all things necessary provided, they shall go tame about the house and breed. Well, Sir Harry, then, considering that all human things are subject to change, it behoves every man that has a just sense of mortality to take care of his money. I don't know what you mean, brother. What do you drive at, brother? This instrument is executed by you, your son, and my niece which discharges me of all retrospects. It is confessed, brother, but what then? All that remains is that you pay me for the young lady's twelve years' board, as also all other charges, as wearing apparel, etc. What is this you say? Did I give you my discharge from all retrospects, as you call it? And after all, do you come with this in tother and all that? I find you are. I tell you, sir, to your face, I find you are. I find, too, what you are, Sir Harry. What am I, sir? What am I? Why, sir, you are angry. Sir, I scorn your words. I am not angry. Mr. Pounce is my witness. I am as gentle as a lamb. Would it not make any flesh alive angry to see a close hunks come after all with a demand of... Mr. Pounce... Pray inform Sir Harry on this point. Indeed, Sir Harry, I must tell you plainly that Mr. Tipkin in this demands nothing but what he may recover. For though this case may be considered mortifarium, that is to say, as it is usually, commonly, vicatum, or vulgarly expressed, yet I say, when we only observe that the power is settled as the law requires, as sends you patris, by the consent of the father, that circumstance imports you are well acquainted with the advantages which accrue to your family by this alliance, which corroborates Mr. Tipkin's demand, and avoids all objections that can be made. Why, then, I find you are his adviser in all this. Look, Isere, to show you I love to promote among my clients a good understanding. Though Mr. Tipkin may claim four thousand pounds, I'll engage for him, and I know him so well that he shall take three thousand nine hundred and ninety-eight pounds, four shillings and eightpence farthing. Indeed, Mr. Pounce, you are too hard upon me. You must consider a little. Sir Harry is your brother. 
3,998 pounds, four shillings and eight pence farthing. For what, I say? For what, sir? For what, sir? For what she wanted, sir. A fine lady is always in want, sir. Her very clothes would come to that money in half the time. Three thousand nine hundred and ninety-eight pounds, four shillings and eighteen pence farthing for clothes. Pray, how many suits does she wear out in a year? Oh, dear sir, a fine lady's clothes are not old by being worn, but by being seen. Well, I'll save her clothes for the future, after I have got her into the country. I'll warrant her she shall not appear more in this wicked town, where clothes are worn out by sight. And as to what you demand, I tell you, sir, tis extortion. Sir Harry, do you accuse me of extortion? Yes, I say extortion. Mr. Pounce, write down that. There are very good laws provided against scandal and calumny. Loss of reputation may tend to loss of money. Item, for having accused Mr. Tipkin of extortion. Nay, if you come to your items. Look ye, Mr. Tipkin, this is an inventory of such goods as were left to my niece, Bridget, by her deceased father, and which I expect shall be forthcoming at her marriage to my son. In primus, a golden locket of her mother's, with something very ingenious in Latin on the inside of it. Item, a couple of muskets, with two shoulder belts and bandoliers. Item, a large silver caudle cup with a true story engraven on it. But, Sir Harry... Item, a base vial, with almost all the strings to it, and only a small hole on the back. But nevertheless, sir... This is the furniture of my brother's bedchamber that follows. A suite of tapestry hangings, with the story of Judith and Holofernes, torn only where the head should have been off. An old bedstead, curiously wrought about the posts, consisting of two loads of timber, a hone, a basin, three razors, and a comb case. Look ye, sir, you see I can item it. Alas, Sir Harry, if you had ten choir of items, tis all answered in the word retrospect. Why, then, Mr. Pounce and Mr. Tipkin, you are both rascals. Do you call me rascal, Sir Harry? Yes, sir. Write it down, Mr. Pounce, at the end of the leaf. If you have room, Mr. Pounce, put down villain, son of a whore, curmudgeon, hunks, and scoundrel. Not so fast, Sir Harry. He cannot write so fast. You are at the word villain. A son of a whore, I take it, was next. You may make the account as large as you please, Sir Harry. Come, come, I won't be used thus. Hark ye, sirrah, draw. What do you do at this end of the town without a sword? Draw, I say. Sir Harry, you are a military man, a colonel of the militia. I am so, sirrah, and will run such an extorting dog as you through the guts to show the militia is useful. Oh dear, oh dear, how am I concerned to see persons of your figure thus moved? The wedding is coming in. We'll settle these things afterwards. I am calm. Tipkin, live these two hours, but expect... Enter Humphrey, leading niece. Mrs. Claremont, led by Fainlove. Captain Claremont and Claremont Sr. 
Who are these? Heyday, who are these, Sir Harry? Ha! Huh? Some frolic, tis wedding day, no matter. Ha! Ha! For the master runkle, come, you must stir your stumps, you must dance. Come, old lads, kiss the ladies. Mr. Tipkin, Sir Harry, I beg pardon for an introduction so malapropos. I know sudden familiarity is not the English way. Alas, Mr. Gubbin, this father and uncle of yours must be new-modelled. How they stare, both of them. Hark ye, nymphs, who is this you have brought hither? Is it not the famous fine lady, Mrs. Claremont? What a pox did you let her come near your wife? Look ye, don't expose yourself and play some mad country prank to disgrace me before her. I shall be laughed at because she knows I understand better. I congratulate, madam. You're coming out of the bondage of a virgin state. A woman can't do what she will properly till she's married. Did you hear what she said to your wife? Enter aunt before a service of dishes. So, Mr. Bridegroom, pray take that napkin and serve your spouse today, according to custom. Mrs. Claremont, pray know my aunt. Madam, I must beg your pardon. I can't possibly like all that vast load of meat that you are sending into table. Besides, tis so offensively sweet. It wants that au goût we are so delighted with in France. You'll pardon it, since we did not expect you. Aside. Who is this? Oh, madam, I only speak for the future. Little saucers are so much more polite. Look ye, I'm perfectly for the French way. Wherever I'm admitted, I take the whole upon me. The French, madam, I'd have you to know. You'll not like it at first, out of a natural English sullenness. But that will come upon you by degrees. When I first went to France, I was mortally afraid of a frog. But in a little time, I could eat nothing else, except salads. Eat frogs? Have I kissed one that has ate frogs? Pa, pa! Oh, madam, a frog and a salad are delicious fare. Tis not long come up in France itself, but their glorious monarch has introduced the diet, which makes him so spiritual. He eradicated all gross food by taxes, and, for the glory of the monarch, sent the subject a grazing. <laughs> but I fear I defer the entertainment and diversion of the day. Now, father, uncle, before we go any further, I think tis necessary we should know oo and oos together. Then I'll give either of you two hours to guess which is my wife, and tis not my cousin, so far I'll tell you. How? What do you say? But, oh, you mean she is not your cousin now? She's nearer akin? That's well enough. Well said, numps. Ha, ha, ha. No, I don't mean so. I tell you I don't mean so. My wife hides her face under her hat. All looking at Feinlove. Oh, what does the puppy mean? His wife under a hat. Aye, aye, that's she, that's she. A good jest, Faith. Hark ye, numps, what dost mean, child? Is that a woman? And are you really married to her? I am sure of both. Are you so, sirrah? 
then, sirrah, this is your wedding dinner, sirrah. Do you see, sirrah? Here's roast meat. Oh, oh, what? Be a merry man? Older, Mr. Claremont, brother Ponce, Mr. Wife, nobody stand by a young merry man? Runs behind Fainlove. Did not the dog say brother Pounce? What is this Mrs. Ragout? This, Madame Claremont? Who the devil are you all? But especially who the devil are you two? Beats Humphrey and Fainlove off the stage, following. Tipkin to Pounce. Master Pounce, all my niece's fortune will be demanded now, for I suppose that red coat has her. Don't you think you and I had better break? Pounce to Tipkin. You may as soon as you please, but tis my interest to be honest a little longer. Well, Biddy, since you would not accept your cousin, I hope you hadn't disposed of yourself elsewhere. If you'll for a little while suspend your curiosity, you shall have the whole history of my emerge to this nuptial day, under the title of the loves of Claremont and Parthenissa. Then, madam, your portion is in safe hands. Come, come, old gentleman, tis in vain to contend. Here's honest Mr. Pound shall be my engineer, and I warrant you we beat you out of all your holds. What then? Is Mr. Pounds a rogue? Apart to Tipkin. He must have some trick, brother. It cannot be. He must have cheated the other side, for I'm sure he's honest. Mr. Pounds, all your sister has won of this lady she has honestly put into my hands, and I'll return it her at this lady's particular request. And the thousand pounds you promised in your brother's behalf, I'm willing should be hers also. Then go in and bring them all back to make the best of an ill game. We'll eat the dinner and have a dance together, or we shall transgress all form. Re-enter Fainlove, Humphrey, and Sir Harry. Well, since you say you are worth something, and the boy has set his heart upon you, I'll have patience till I see you further. Come, come, Sir Harry, you shall find my alliance more considerable than you imagine. The Pounces are a family that will always have money, if there's any in the world. Come, fiddles. A dance here. You've seen the extremes of the domestic life. A son too much confined, too free a wife. By generous bonds you either should restrain, and only on their inclinations gain. Wives to obey must love, children revere, while only slaves are governed by their fear. End of Act 5 Epilogue Brightons who constant war with factious rage for liberty against each other wage, from foreign insults save this English stage. No more the Italian squalling tribe admit, in tongues unknown, tis popery in wit. The songs, their selves confess, from Rome they bring, and tis high mass for aught you know they sing. Husbands take care, the danger may come nigher, the women say their eunuch is a friar. But is it not a serious ill to see Europe's great arbiters so mean can be, passive with an affected joy to sit, suspend their native taste of manly wit? Neglect their comic humour, tragic rage, 
for known defects of nature and of age? Arise for shame, ye conquering Brighton's rise, such unadorned effeminacy despise. Admire, if you will dote on foreign wit, not what Italians sing, but Romans writ. So shall less works, such as tonight's slight play, at your command with justice die away, till then forgive your writers that can't bear, you should such very tramontanes appear, the nations which contemn you to revere. Let Anna's soil be known for all its charms, as famed for liberal sciences as arms. Let those derision meet who would advance manners or speech from Italy or France. Let them learn you who would your favour find, and English be the language of mankind. End of Epilogue End of The Tender Husband or The Accomplished Fools by Richard Steele